Merry Christmas, church. It is good to be together. I've got one question for you. Do you hear what I hear? Are you listening? That's what we've been doing this Christmas. We've been listening to the songs of Christmas. Uh, two weeks ago, we heard the angels say, hark. And I know some of you have been harking. Talk to somebody on Tuesday. They said, I've been harking. Everywhere I go Christmas shopping, if I hear a song and I know it, I stop. And I think about Jesus and I worship Jesus. Maybe you've been doing that. And then last week we heard the shepherds say, go. And I hope some of you have made your plans to go and tell. Even if you're scared, invite somebody with you Christmas Eve. We got all kinds of service times. Pick up on the way out the door. They'll be passing out invite cards. Grab one of those invite cards. Maybe grab a couple. Use them. Get the times. Be bold. Invite somebody to hear the gospel this Christmas. And this week... A curious Christmas carol that we'll listen to together this week. It was written by the the famous poet, one of those poets you've heard of, even if you haven't actually heard of any of his poems, the great Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. You've heard the name, even if you don't know who he is. He wrote it on Christmas Day, 1863. Remember some of that U.S. history from junior year. 1863. That was a bad time. And it was an especially bad time for Longfellow. He'd lost his wife just a little bit over two years ago. It would have been his second Christmas without his wife. He was raising five kids on his own, five because his youngest had recently died. And his oldest lay in the next room, near paralyzed, near death, shot across his back, just missed his spine, um, fighting for the Union in the Civil War. What kind of Christmas poem do you write in a year like that? When you wake up on Christmas morning, the second Christmas without your wife, raising five kids because you lost one, and your oldest is near death in the next room, what kind of Christmas poem do you write? It, It makes me wonder, what kind of Christmas poem would you write this year? I mean, if you were the kind of person who wrote poems, what kind of Christmas poem would you write? I hear those sleigh bells jingling, ting, ting, tingling too. Come on. Was that what you'd write? Come on, it lovely. I mean, if you would, that's great. I mean, the rest of us are so thrilled for you. If that's the kind of, maybe you'd write this one. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. I know crocodiles or rhinoceroses. I only want a hippopotamuses and hippopotamuses want me to, Right? Maybe you'd write that one. Maybe your song this Christmas would be of the gifts you hope to get. You've got some stuff, right? Or maybe the other way around. Maybe you're giving hippopotamuses this Christmas. And it would be all about the gifts you want to give. You know, I so know for some people, Christmas is all about what they're going to give other people. That's awesome. Oh, maybe you'd write this one. I'll be home for Christmas. You know, that's a tricky song. You know that, right? It's a trick song. It sounds like it's the sweetest, nicest song with all the best news. Have I told you my horrible story? 
I don't know how old I was, seven, eight, nine, ten, something like that. We were at Calvin and Gail Phillips' house. That's my grandparents. And everybody was there that year. All the aunts, all the uncles, all the cousins. It was the 23rd. It was make your own pizza night, except we were missing Aunt Penny. And the rumor was that if Aunt Penny got off work early enough, the next day she was going to jump in her car and drive through the night all the way from Chicago, and she'd be there Christmas morning. And everybody hoped Aunt Penny would come. So we're all there, you know, in the kitchen and dining room of my grandmother's house. The phone rings, and they put her on speaker, and she starts singing. I'll be home for Christmas. And all the little cousins, we were just thrilled. Yay, Aunt Penny would be home. But everybody else knew how that song ended. And as soon as she started singing, they got sad. Because if you don't know, that song ends like this. If only in my dreams. It's a song about not coming home for Christmas. It was the worst bait and switch ever. (laughs) What kind of song would you write this Christmas? If you were to write a Christmas poem this year, would it include this line? Then from each iron accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow had had to travel all the way from his home in Massachusetts to the front down in Maryland to pick up his near dead eldest Son, and had heard the cannons of war booming off to the south. Or, or would your poem include this line? It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Some of you might write a song like that this Christmas about a continent, a nation torn, about a household forlorn, about a house that wanted peace on earth and goodwill to all, but instead has been ripped apart and left with disappointment. Now, those two stanzas didn't make it into the song that we all know. But even the song is pretty hard, right? I mean, it starts out nice enough. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And then I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom. It's nice, right? Nostalgic even, a little bit beautiful. But in the poem, this is where the mood shifts. The stanza about the canons comes next. And then the one about the continent ripped apart, homes shattered. And then the third one, the one we do sing. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I wonder what kind of poem you'd write this Christmas. I look around 
You know, some of you, I don't know what's going on in your life, but, but some of you I do. You know, if you had to write a Christmas poem, it, it, w- it would be about death. Or about a disease that the doctor has just discovered and you, you can't even get an appointment scheduled to get it diagnosed because everybody else is too busy going to Christmas parties. Or about somebody in the hospital. Or about a relationship just fell apart. In despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong. Mocks the song. You may wonder, are we allowed to talk like that at, at Christmas? I mean, is it okay to sneak that kind of stuff into a Christmas carol? Won't it just ruin the party or ruin the mood? You may even wonder, are Christians allowed to talk like that at all? Won't that kind of ruin the worship service or, or ruin our witness? Well, if if that's what you wonder, let me just tell you, yes. Not only are we allowed to talk like that, God's word teaches us to talk like that. Uh, Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Look at Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I'm in the deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. And some of you are like, testify, that's me. I'm in the deep water now. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim waiting for God. How long have you been waiting on God? Long enough to go blind from it. Even the Christmas story, the Christmas story has moments of horror. After Jesus' birth, Herod hears that the, the, Herod was the king. He hears that someone who has been born in Bethlehem has been called the Messiah, the rescuing promised king. And Herod is the king, and he wants his kids to be the king, not some dude born in Bethlehem. So here's what he does. Matthew chapter 2, he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were under two years old. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, this fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the Christmas story. Jesus is born, angels sing, shepherds rejoice, wise men worship, and Herod kills toddlers. Hundreds of toddlers. That's the Christmas story. How can a story that includes that terrible scene ever be called anything but a tragedy? How can we call this story, this Christmas story, a good news story when in the middle of it there's a madman killing babies? If the middle is this awful, does it even matter what the ending is? It couldn't be a good story. 
This is what I do with like books and movies. Uh, you know, I don't want to watch any movie that like is, is about like couples breaking up and fighting or whatever. I got no time for that. Like even if I Google and discover they get back together in the end and it has a happy ending, like I got no time for that. You know, I don't want to watch that. My life's too, you know, whatever. And, 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 and maybe that's how you feel about your life. You know, you look at the middle of your story. And you wonder if the middle of my story, if my present is this bad, is there any future that could make this a happy story, make this a story of joy and love and healing? See, what I know is a lot of us are in a hard spot this Christmas. You know, you, maybe you don't do that Christmas letter thing, but you're like, if I did, boy, I'd be quite a letter this year. First Christmas without my, you fill in the blank. Mom, dad, spouse, son, daughter. First Christmas with my, you fill in the blank, unemployment cancer diagnosis, divorce. See, it turns out suffering doesn't stop for Christmas. It just doesn't. I mean, we could wish it would, and sometimes we even feel like we're supposed to pretend it did, but it, but it doesn't. And if suffering doesn't stop for Christmas, then it belongs in our Christmas carols. Because if we can't talk about suffering at Christmas, then Christmas isn't worth it. You know, if the bells of Christmas are not louder than the tears of life, then they aren't loud enough to make a fuss over. I mean, then who cares? What's the big deal? And similarly, I want to tell you something. I want, you, I want you to know what the stakes of Christmas are. The stakes are this. If the plans God has for us are not sufficient to deal with the pain of our life, then God's plans are not enough. That's what's at stake when we tell people the story of Christmas. We bring to God our stories. Our stories of loss and heartbreak and betrayal and failure and sin and regret and exhaustion and addiction and finiteness. We bring to God our stories, even our stories of wealth that can buy us a boat, sure, but it can't buy us a happy marriage or a longer life and it can't buy a cure to cancer. And we bring to God all these stories and we ask, can you really make this story a good story? Is there any ending you could write, God, to the chaos we have made of your world that would make it a story worth telling? And in despair, I bowed my head. There's no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong. 
and mocks the song. If the plans of God aren't sufficient to deal with the pain of life, then I don't know what we mean by Merry Christmas. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see the point. And if that's your Christmas question this year, God, do you have a plan for my story that will actually make this story I'm living today a story worth telling, a story of joy and peace and love and hope? If that's your question for God, I have the most wonderful news for you. God is enough. The plans of God are sufficient for the pain of life. The mercy of God is sufficient to cleanse us from the damage of sin. The love of God is sufficient to repair all the harm done by the lack of love in your home, in our world. And the bells of Christmas, they aren't just louder than the tears of life. They ring longer as well. If you need to be reminded of this today, I want to challenge you to do something this afternoon. If you need a reminder that God is sufficient to to include in God's story every part of your story and still make it a great story. If you need a reminder of that, I want you to this afternoon just immerse yourself in the eighth chapter of Romans. Uh, Romans is a book, uh, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, it's in your Bibles. Uh, And in the eighth chapter, Paul just talks about the sufficient of the mercy of God. I I can't read the whole chapter to you now, but I want to give you some highlights. If you've got, you can grab a Bible. They're under the chairs in front of you, or maybe you can grab it on your phone. Here are just some of the highlights. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Skipping to verse 10. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death. He's like, yes, our present reality is subject to death. It's pretty dismal. But even if that's true, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Skipping again to verse 18. Like I said, I want you to just go immerse yourself in this text. If you need a, a reminder that the Christmas story is bigger than your present suffering and sufficient for your present suffering, go, go read it. Here's what you'll find in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings See, Paul says, your suffering belongs in this story. Your pain belongs in this story. Your pain, your regret, your fear makes sense in this story. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Imagine such a day 
When creation itself is set free from the prison of decay we live in now, where everything rusts and everything breaks and everything is worn down and everybody dies, it will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And in the same way, verse 26, in the very same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In despair, I bowed my head. And maybe in that moment, you don't even know what to pray. And Paul says, that's okay. You don't have to know what to pray. You don't have to know what to pray. The Spirit will pray for you. Verse 28, like I said, you go back. You spend time in this chapter if you need this reminder today. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I'll tell you a little something about this verse. This is Romans 8, 28. I grew up um, reading a a different translation of this verse, an older translation of this verse. And it's not that it's such a bad translation, but it had a little quirk to the English grammar that meant for most of my life I misunderstood this verse. The, the way I memorized this as a little boy was, um, and we know that all things work together for good. And um, as a little boy, and well into my adulthood, that little quirk of English grammar gave me the impression that the point Paul was making was this. This is what I thought Paul was saying. I thought he was saying, well, you know, stuff works out. That's what I thought. Paul was trying to say. You know, everything works together for good. You know, you know, you miss the bus, you catch a plane later. You get there on time anyway. It all works out. And when I thought Paul was saying that, I always wanted to say back to him, no, Paul, it doesn't. Children die. Herod killed toddlers. Lives are torn apart. It doesn't just all work out. I was very glad later to study this verse and I even went back and this week and reread a bunch of commentaries just on the grammar of this one sentence just so I could say this one very simple thing to you. Paul isn't trying to say to you, yeah, stuff works out. He's saying God works stuff out in all things. And Paul particularly has in mind the bad things in Romans chapter 8. Even the bad stuff. In the bad stuff, God is at work accomplishing good. You bring God your tragedy and God turns it into a victory. We know that in all things, even the bad things, God's worked for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Look, look at what, what's his purpose? His purpose is that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That means you are a, a, a son or daughter, a child of God. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's how your story ends. Glorified. What then shall we say in response to all these things? What things? The bad things. What are we going to say in response to the bad things? 
Here's what Paul says. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who sets us free, who makes us right. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is now at the right hand of God, interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Put that in your Christmas carol right there. Trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. That would make a Christmas letter, right? You know, put that in your, what's our year been? You know, Susie got into college and trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Why would would you ever put that in a Christmas carol? Why would you ever put that in a Christmas letter? So you could say the next part. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says you've got a Christmas question. Paul says, you want to know if your suffering can make sense inside of a Christmas story. And here's what he says. He says, yes, God's power and love is sufficient in all things. What sort of things? Well, the bad things. God's power and love is sufficient in all things to accomplish good so that you will be conformed to the likeness of Christ, restoring your relationship with God, declared not guilty for the sins of this world, and eternally glorified with Christ. That's what Paul says. No matter what story you bring, God's power is enough. And I want you to know, that's not just what Paul would say way back then. That's what God's people testify to today. It's what Lou Fowler would testify to. And I want to give her a chance to do that just now. Psalm 30, verse 5, was a verse that meant a lot to me during my husband's illness. It reads, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. In 2011, my weeping began because I knew something was happening to my husband. We both knew something was not right. In January 2015, Chip was diagnosed with vascular dementia. It was not the diagnosis we wanted to hear, but at least we knew what was in front of us now, and we wept. The great chaplain, who preached, taught, mentored young chaplains, modeled pastoral care, guided soldiers through the toughest of times. This husband, who chose me to travel around the world with him, who helped me open our home to multitudes through the years. This father, who sat by his newborn daughter's bassinet, admiring her for hours, who talked her through good times and bad, who would have given his life to protect her. All of this was diminished over the next five years and much of it gone in a vapor over two years. We wept 
as we held on to our memories of our precious husband and father, and we cherished the essence of who he was. Our time together became being together, just being together. Over the last two years, Chip's disease worsened, and we saw more and more decline. And I wept. The night sky was dark, but there were multiple holes punched, allowing light to shine through. There were more people praying than I probably even know about. And those prayers sustained us, brought my heart to peace many times, and helped me to experience joy amidst the sadness. There were coffee dates with rich and sometimes challenging conversations. Lunches that brought love and laughter. Help with videos in Sunday school, texts just to ask how I was doing. Surprise gifts dropped by the house. And at the end, caregivers that showed kindness and care demonstrated compassion for both Chip and me. That God sustains us, provides for us, loves us, cares about every detail, seems an understatement to me. Divine tenderness was what I experienced. The last 11 years gave us more than I can name here today. Of importance, I learned through it all that I was not alone, that love endures forever, and that God keeps his promises. God promised that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. This is our morning. This is when Chip took God's hand and went leaping and jumping and praising God as he entered paradise with his savior and friend. This is our morning and I praise God for the life I had with Chip. Longfellow also knew what Paul knew and what Lou Fowler knew, that it would be the bells of Christmas and not the sound of those cannons that would get the last word. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. If you're grieving today, suffering today, if your Christmas letter is not the letter you wanted to write or it's just so edited because you left out all the parts you couldn't write about, you need to know your church is with you in this present moment. 
Uh, one thing that might be helpful to you, we do this each year, um, we offer, uh, especially for those who have lost a loved one, and maybe it's your first Christmas without somebody, uh, we've got a little ornament station right out the back doors. If you want to go there and make an ornament, they'll put a name on it or something. It's just a symbol that you are not forgotten by God, you are not forgotten by your church, that loved one is not forgotten. That's been helpful to a lot of us throughout the years. Maybe that would be helpful with, for you. If you're worshiping online, um, just type the name in the chat, and your chat host will get with you, and we'll make sure we get that ornament to you. You can stop by the church and pick it up. Uh, if you, this is a, a season of suffering for you, you need to know that God is with you in this present moment. We are with you in this present moment. But you also need to know that this present moment is not the final word. God gets the final word. And nothing shall separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I get it that sometimes you're in the middle of it, right? Like the psalmist said, you're up to your neck. How long will I wait? And the cannons are loud and the tears flow and it's hard to hear the song. But I promise it's still there. And the tears will dry and the cannons will fall silent. And the song of the love of God will continue eternally. And so it's to God that we turn. And I want to invite uh, Donald out right now, and he's just going to lead us in prayer. And maybe this is a season where you just need somebody to help you find some words for your prayer. And so Donald's going to come and do that for us right now. Let's pray together. Father, this morning... We have amongst us a congregation that carries pain. We have a church that carries pain in this season. And a community that carries pain, a world that carries pain. We have had pandemics. We have had untold sicknesses and sufferings. We have had wars surrounding us across the globe, affecting us here at home. We have those with uh, loved ones that lapsed into terminal illnesses. We have some in our own community right here in this congregation who may celebrate and, and they know will celebrate Christmas just one more time. It's been hard and yet we know your desire is to bring joy to us. And today we appeal to you, Father, Spirit of the living God, teach us to know real joy through Christ. Thank you for this Advent season. Thank you for the hope it brings. Thank you that uh, this life 
is temporary and that you have prepared a place and a time for us to sit in your presence and peace forevermore. And so give us a song, give us a message, give us an attitude of hope, Spirit of the living God in this season, we pray as we celebrate the advent of your son, Jesus. Amen.